0: When I heard Texas Democrats were playing hooky from their special legislative session as a way to protest a Republican bill limiting who can vote and how, I had one thought. Again? This move is getting familiar. <laughs> it's, it's getting familiar. Jessica Huseman is the editorial director at Vote Beat. She covers Texas election law and lawmakers. She says if you are also getting a sense of deja vu, she doesn't really blame you. Texas Democrats did walk out of another legislative session over the very same bill just a couple of months back. But this time, she says, the stakes are higher. The first time they did this, back
1: in May... Democrats walked out, but they walked out a couple of hours before the regular session was supposed to end anyway. On that day, Dade Phelan, who is the Speaker of the House in Texas, had met with a Democratic caucus and he'd said to them, listen, I know y'all are thinking about walking out, and if you do, we won't stop
0: you. Dade Phelan, who is a Republican, by the way, he could have sent state troopers after these legislators. I mean, instead of fleeing the state, they were like going
1: for ice cream with their kids. Right. The stakes like that's literally true. Um, (laughs) But the stakes much lower than they are right now, because Dave Phelan has taken a very different tone now. He said that he will use all um, resources available to him under the Texas state constitution to restore a
0: quorum, which means law enforcement.
1: Yeah, I mean, it means law enforcement. I think that a lot of Democrats don't even really know how this is going to play out, because frankly, this is basically
0: unprecedented in Texas history. This explains why, instead of what lawmakers did last time, grabbing an ice cream cone and following it up with a press conference, this week more than 50 Democratic representatives boarded private jets bound for Washington, hundreds of miles out of a state trooper's reach. Conveniently, D.C. is also where their federal colleagues are stubbornly refusing to pass national election reform. They
1: have decided that the only thing available to them to stop the bill is breaking quorum, which is mathematically true. And so they've decided to break quorum in the most, I think, dramatic way possible, which is boarding private chartered jets to D.C. to sit on the steps of the Senate Capitol and um, stare angrily at Joe Manchin as he walks past.
0: So, I guess my question is, this move may seem familiar to people who've been watching this go on, but is this move smart? It depends.
1: You know, I I think that this this is a bit of a losing battle that they're fighting. They're just trying to delay it as
0: much as possible. Today on the show inside Texas Democrats' second walkout. This time, they've gone on a road trip. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. Or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. The bill Texas Democrats are protesting is a little different from the bill they walked down on a couple months back. After they broke quorum last time, Republicans threw them some bones, removing language that would limit Sunday voting, for instance. But there's still plenty to take issue with. Republicans want to cut voting hours, limit absentee voting, and expand rights for partisan poll watchers. So on Saturday, when the House opened up for public testimony, hundreds of citizens showed up to speak their piece. So the special
1: session in the House started at 8 a.m. They gabbled in. The hearings began because they put the bill third, but scheduled it for the same day. And they knew there would be hundreds of people testifying. That meant that the public hearing for the bill did not even start until 2 a.m., So people who had arrived at 7.30 in the morning while it was pouring rain in Austin on a Saturday morning to testify had to wait until 2 a.m. to even begin. The session did not end until 7 o'clock the next morning. So it almost went 24 full hours.
0: You can watch this testimony online. And it is really striking to me to watch it because when the public testimony is set to begin... There's this switch in how the legislators are behaving. Like, immediately beforehand, it's kind of a clubby atmosphere. They're asking, like, hey, where'd you go to high school? Like, hey, oh, you're from Odessa? And then, boom, the public is testifying. And it's just a totally different vibe. Like, one of the first people to testify is a guy in a wheelchair. Okay. It the floor sir. Uh, vehemently against the bill. And, you know, I'm here... Early this morning, I was here, you know, early yesterday morning, we got less than 48 hours notice that these two hearings were happening simultaneously. So I'm here partially because you need to see the people that you're affecting. That's why everybody else is here, too.
1: And and that's what's really, I think, kind of stunning about the public show of opposition to this bill, which is that We did only have 48 hours that it was going to be heard, and we only had 24 hours notice as to when the bill was only produced. The text of the bill was only produced 24 hours in advance. It's a very long bill. Legislators who were having to question witnesses on the floor hadn't even had a chance to read the full bill. Um, and, and so it was a very rushed proceeding. And then at the very end of both the Senate and the House hearings, the Republicans voted it straight to the floor. None of them changed their minds. So, so none of this testimony made a difference. Not even a bit, no. The, the, I think that everybody had made up their minds from the beginning. And I think that that is really what set the Democrats' plan in motion, which was that, like, even if what they did was technically allowed under the rules, they made it as difficult as possible to speak in opposition to the bill. They made it as difficult as possible for the public to get transparency on the bill hearing because it was at three o'clock in the morning. And then at the end of all of that, putting the public through all of that, they voted it straight to the floor anyway without considering any Democratic amendments, without making any substantial changes to the bill and without really hearing what the people who were
0: speaking in opposition to the bill were saying. And I feel like we should just say like nearly 500 people said they wanted to talk about this bill about 400 of those said they were opposed to the legislation so it was overwhelming who in the public showed up here right absolutely
1: overwhelming and and i think that you know it says a lot about the current state of texas politics that Not only did they not change their minds, but they also chose not to moderate the legislation in the ways that the public was specifically asking them to.
0: When did you begin to get the sense that the Democrats might be thinking of walking out the door? They have
1: kept this at front of mind since they did it the first time.
0: You know, I I
1: had some conversations with... um, Gina Hinojosa and Rafael Anchia, who represent the Austin and Dallas areas respectively and are part of the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, um, who has been really, really sort of at the forefront of opposition to this bill. And they both told me at the end of the the regular session that they were keeping this on the table. Um, I think Rafael Anchia's words to me were, um, you know, I'm not planning on walking out, but if I do, I've got friends in low places that I can stay with, um, which I thought was (laughs) funny. Um, And obviously, right, like you can't charter two planes overnight. They had this plan sort of in their pocket for a couple of days. I started hearing kind of hushed whispers about a walkout. Um, in the Capitol the night before it happened and was able to confirm it early the next morning when I called a representative who I shan't name uh, and they were actively zipping up their suitcase as I was talking to them on the phone. Like Um, you could hear it? I could hear it. Like they were like zipping it up, (laughs) throwing things in a bag and their words were like, call me later. I can't talk right now. And then I called a second legislator. I called Gina Hinojosa and she was also zipping up her suitcase and walking out the door. So like the, you know, it was, it was kind of funny. I just, I called them all exactly at the right moment. And I was like, well, you've audibly confirmed that you are leaving. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> state. I, it, it, which was which was a funny thing to do, but you know I think that the caucus didn't even know exactly when they were going to go, and and so they had the plan in motion, but it you know it wasn't definitive. I think that they would go or when they would go if they did.
0: The last time a walkout of this scale happened in Texas, it was two thousand three. Back then, state Democrats were protesting redistricting. Legislators fled just across the state border to Oklahoma and Arkansas. Some reporters played the whole thing for laughs. The Washington Post described the lawmakers as holding court in a Denny's. This time feels different, with Texas Democrats taking their grievances to D.C. On Tuesday morning, they gathered on the steps of the Capitol in a showy display of solidarity. I do believe we will overcome someday.
1: I, you know, what they have said to me is that they're waiting for federal legislation. I, like, I don't think that it is is an exaggeration to say that Texas Democrats are pissed at their national counterparts um, because their perspective is, you know, we're walking out. We get paid $6,000 a year. You have a majority in Congress and you get paid full time to do this job. Like, what the hell are you doing? And, and, and I mean, it, they, they have been like, they have not minced words when they have said those things to me. Um, I think the night that he walked out of the regular session, Rafael and Chia called me and he said, you know, we wouldn't have to do this if Democrats would just pass the damn bill. And, you know, there, there's a lot of simplifying in that. I mean, th- it's not an easy road for Democrats to pass a voting rights bill in Congress. They've got a majority, but they would still need 10 Republicans unless they achieved filibuster reform. And that doesn't seem hugely likely. And I and I feel like the earliest that the Democrats are going to introduce any federal legislation is going to be a month from now. And, and so... You know, I just don't know if holding out for Democrats to pass a bill nationally is really going to get them to where they need to be because their
0: timetables are very different. Jessica says the top priority for these Democrats is to figure out a strategy. They are juggling the concerns of all kinds of constituents. Some of them care about the voting rights issue, some do not. So the end game here. It's a little unclear, especially when Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott can continue to call special session after special session to try to get what he wants.
1: I think that there are a couple of of different end games, which is, I think, setting a lot of Democrats' teeth on edge, right? Because the the caucus is not a, is not necessarily in agreement around what the end game is. Some of them say that the end game is that they're waiting it out until the job is done in D.C., which... People like Gina Hinojosa and Rafael Anchia are interpreting as the Democrats in D.C. pass something, um, which might take a month and a half or more, or they might never do that. Um, Other Democrats say that the end game is forcing Republicans to moderate the bill and then they'll return and vote on it once it's moderated.
0: That could cause a problem. That could cause a
1: problem. And it doesn't surprise me, because if you think about, you know, I grew up in Texas, I love this state. I live here now. I own a house here. I'm going to live here for the rest of my life. Like I'm Texas through and through. And what's always bothered me about the sort of media perception of Texas and the public perception of Texas is it's this one big state that is all the same all the way down. But it's just not true. And if you think of Texas, even geographically, you can realize that this state is not one cohesive place. Everybody has such a different motivation. And so there are Democrats who represent far more socially conservative areas than others. And those areas are not going to look kindly on their Democratic representatives, just like busting out and skipping out on the job. Uh, And and so I think that these these motivations are really going to kick into play in a couple of weeks when the Rubber meets the road and nothing is
0: happening. I mean, I'm mindful of the fact that back in 2003, it just took one Democrat breaking ranks, heading back to Austin to get the redistricting plan through. Yeah. And so I wonder (laughs) how many Democrats would the Republican Party need to pick off now? That's not clear to me because I don't know exactly how many have left.
1: 51 needed to leave. I believe that around 58 have. So if seven come back, then the quorum is restored. And they don't just have to come back for the legislature, right? One of them could have a sick kid, right? One of them could have an emergency at the business that they own and be forced to return to the state. And then they would be fully within DPS's sites, the the Department of Public Safety in Texas, they would be like completely within their rights to return them to the Capitol. And so, you know, that's why staying away for this long is so hard, especially in a situation in which this is not their full-time job. Um, and, And they do have so many other reasons to return than just the legislature. I think that the calculation that Abbott is making right now, Governor Abbott, is that they just can't stay away forever. And he's right. They can't.
0: When we come back, Texas Democrats have made their big move. But will it pay off? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Want, Today be- in the Middle East. Happens yeah. in Ukraine has consequences right for what's around happening around AI. Hello, listeners. I'm
1: Gabrielle Sierra, host of the Why It Matters podcast from the Council on Foreign Relations. Look, the world of international affairs can feel overwhelming and complex, but it also shapes our lives every single day. So it pays to know what's going on out there. Why It Matters is a foreign policy podcast for the rest of us. And with a little bit of humor and a lot of questions, we're here to break down global topics and bring the world home to you. So join us every two weeks on Why It Matters, wherever you listen.
0: When it comes to this walkout in Texas, Jessica doesn't just have questions about the Democrat strategy. She's got questions about the Republican strategy, too. That's because with a special session like this one, Governor Greg Abbott, he's got the power to decide the kinds of bills lawmakers consider. But when she got the list of legislation state representatives would be voting on, she realized Abbott hadn't done anything to convince his Democratic colleagues to work with him rather than against him. So this was actually
1: really surprising to me. Um, So... The laundry list of bills for consideration in special session is essentially a grab bag of everything that Republicans wanted to pass in the regular session and didn't get to. So we've got like what transports bills. We have got a bail bill that would make it harder for people to who have committed certain crimes to get out on. A cash bail before their trial, which Democrats are deeply opposed to. Um, we have got a pretty bad abortion bill that is floating up to the top of the, the legislature. Um, there are limitations or tax relief bill for property taxes in Texas. Texas. Texas, you know, it should be noted, doesn't have an income tax. Property tax is the biggest way that we collect taxes. Uh, so Democrats don't really want that either. I mean, it's it's really just a laundry list of conservative priorities, which surprised me because you know the easiest way for Abbott to have prevented a walkout would have been to, in addition to the voting bill, put bipartisan. Laws like bipartisan bills on the docket so that Democrats felt compelled to stick around. For example, right in Texas, he,
0: there's plenty to work on right now. That's that's the other thing, like with the grid failure back in February.
1: Or in like I didn't have power for days. Like our energy grid is an absolute disaster. And if he had put the energy grid on this docket, Democrats could not have walked out. I mean, it would have been so much more efficient for him to say, all right, SB1 is the voting bill. SB8 is the energy grid bill. Like we are going like, to just put it at of, the end of
0: the session. Mm-hmm, so you have to stick so around. That you've
1: got to stick around because, you know, a, a, a certain percentage of Texans do care a lot about voting, um, but it is not merely an you can imagine why, as important as like being able to turn your lights on in the morning. And so if Democrats had walked out before dealing with the infrastructure bill, they never would have lived that down um, at the voting booth. And so I am surprised that Greg Abbott didn't at least put something on the docket that would keep them around. That does not preclude him from doing that in a second legislative session that he calls. I think that it is not inhi- inherently out of the question that he would call a second special session when this one is forced to a close and put something on there that gets at least some Democrats back in the state and on the floor.
0: So what's happening in the state capitol now?
1: They are carrying on with hearings today, making a big fuss
0: over the fact that the Democrats aren't there. When you say making a big fuss, what do you mean? Like tisk tisking or like, this is what happens? Yes, tisk
1: tisking saying they are letting their constituents down we have important bills to dispose of look at all of these important policies that aren't being voted on right now they're failing you they're failing you is essentially the the sort of attitude that they're taking and and it will mm-hmm, and it will take some time before i think it's clear what the public perception of this walkout in texas is because Texas public perception does not always track with the way that media or progressives in the rest of the country react to the things that Texas Democrats do.
0: So what do you mean by that?
1: I think that it is entirely possible that the Texas broader public does not look as kindly on this walkout as the popular media is looking on this walkout. When I broke the news that they were walking out, it was an immediate deluge of advocates and people out of state and representatives from other states retweeting and being like, this is so brave. This is amazing. So excited that that you're doing this. I am not convinced that the Texas public is going to feel as positively about this as The people who are on the forefront of voting rights issues generally. Um, And that will take a few days to really play out. I mean, this is a special session. I think that there are a lot of Texans that don't even realize that this is happening right now. A lot of these debates happened in the middle of the night. Um, So I think that the Texas general public is really getting, is just getting up to speed like we all are on what's happening right now.
0: Is there a chance that politically, everyone is kind of getting what they want here. Like Democrats get to look righteous. Republicans get to say that they tried to pass the most conservative agenda that they've tried to get through in a long time. But neither actually has to make it work and take their lumps yeah. if it goes wrong.
1: This is this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. I think that Republicans don't necessarily need to pass this bill. What they need to do is convince their base that the Democrats don't support it because they want illegal voting to take place and they want the system to be less secure. On the other hand, Democrats don't necessarily have to stop the bill from passing in order to win a political battle here if they can convince the public at large that republicans don't want minorities to vote then that is also a really big drive to the polls we saw that in georgia for example and so i think that we're seeing voting be used in this really cynical way on you know i'm gonna say on both sides here even though that's a stupid thing to say, because I think <laughs> that it is so obvious that the republic in the long term, the Republican strategy here is more detrimental to democracy than the Democrats. Um, because I think that there's only so far that you can push your base before they stop voting entirely, right? It, the, if the message is the system is fundamentally broken, then. You know, you can turn people out for so long, right? They have to believe in the efficacy of the system in order to believe that if they turn out to vote on the basis that the system is flawed, that their vote will matter enough that it could fix the system. But if you go so far in convincing them that the system is broken, that they don't turn out to vote at all, you are in really dangerous territory.
0: Well, of course, that's their argument for passing bills like this, Right, that they'll make it more secure. Right, and I think that their rhetoric might have crossed
1: the the Rubicon here, and and I will be interested to see if the Republican Party starts to go down that line. It might be hard to measure in Texas because people here don't vote anyway, um, and hmm. and now we're we're making it even harder in in a state that votes. You know, like we're consistently ranked fiftieth in voter turnout, and 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 we're pretending like. People want to vote so badly that they'll commit fraud to do it. It's, it's just it's a very silly place to be in. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me. I had such a good time. Thank you for
0: having me. Jessica Husman is the editorial director of Vote Beat. And that is the show. What next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Carmel Del Shad, Davis Land, Mary Wilson, and Elena Schwartz. We are helped along every single day by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. Thank you to Christina Catarucci. She got audio of the legislators for us today. And I'm Mary Harris. In between episodes, you can go find me on Twitter. It's mostly my dog. Sometimes it's news. I'm at Mary's desk. Otherwise, I will see you back here tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.
1: Late's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump, judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS. We are tackling the big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen.